0: live from studio 67 in florida's capital county it's time to be fackish
1: access granted
0: good people of florida we are back with another new season of fackish my name is Jared gregas i am joined by my co-host sarah henley uh, we are actually down one analyst these days. Shiloh is on to bigger and better things, saving the world up in Washington D.C., and we wish her the best. Uh, but in the meantime, Sarah and I are still here to uh, keep you guys updated on all of your county news and activity. Sarah, how are you doing today?
1: I'm doing good. I'm excited to be back here for eight more weeks of session. We're ready to hit the ground running, but. There's a lot to talk about.
0: We sure are. Our session is right around the corner, uh, but we are actually going to look backwards for a little bit and talk committee weeks. Uh, we had a couple special sessions as well as six committee weeks uh, this past month and a half or so, uh, so we will get you guys up to date on all that has been going on. Uh, we're going to jump right into things today. Uh, Sarah, we had a special session uh, talking special districts and disaster relief. Uh, what what can we uh, expect to see coming out of that?
1: Yes, so we had a special session on our fourth committee week, and there's a couple things the legislature addressed. The first had to do with emergency funding for the recent hurricanes, Hurricane Ian and Hurricane Nicole. So SB. 2B was signed into law and it created the local government emergency bridge loan program within DEO to provide financial assistance to local governments impacted by both of those hurricanes and to be eligible for this existence, the local government must be a county or city located in an area designated in in the federal emergency management agency. And the local government must show substantial loss of its tax or revenues as a result of the hurricanes. So this bill would appropriate 50 million in non-recurring funds from the general revenue fund and the law, not the bill, transfers 650 million to the emergency preparedness and response fund to be used for responding to a declared state of emergency. This expires in June, 2027. And funds not used will revert back to the general revenue fund.
0: And just a point of clarification, uh, as far as the funding goes, uh, I believe that cannot be used for any sort of capital expenditures. This is just for keeping the lights on and keeping operations running day to day. Uh, So just be aware of
1: that. Thank you, Jared. And our next few bills that were signed into law had to do with our independent special districts. The big one, as we all know, was the Reedy Creek Improvement District. HB 9B ratifies and confirms the continued existence of the Reedy Creek Improvement District under a new name known as the Central Florida Tourism Oversight District. The district will include a newly elected board, With five board members appointed by the governor with state confirmation. And the governor actually just appointed these five five board members this week. It removes the district's ability to amend its own boundaries without a special act. It provides new reporting requirements for the district. It removes the district's ability to own and operate airport facilities, certain types of recreation facilities like stadiums, civic centers, convention halls, and novel and experimental facilities such as nuclear power plants and lots of other things as well. You can read all about that in our report that we did on that and online as well.
0: Thank you, Sarah. Yeah things are gonna be looking a lot different down there these days. Uh Disney was not the only special district impacted by this bill. Uh there were a handful others, Sarah, would you like to touch on those a little bit.
1: Yes, we had two bills, HB 11B and HB 13B, the Sunshine Water Control District in Broward County and the East Point Water and Sewer District in Franklin County. Both of these special districts were reaffirmed and will continue those special districts. And they will be allowed to raise revenue and pay outstanding bonds without interruption. So those bills codify, reenact, and amend the charters of those districts.
0: Thanks, Sarah. Moving on, uh, we are going to get into the committee weeks. Several hundred bills have already been filed so far uh, in the legislature, and a handful have already started moving their way through committees. Uh, these are going to be a lot of the big priority bills. And one of FAC's priorities this session has already made it through both committee stops of reference on the Senate side. That is going to be uh, Senator Kaladiud's housing package. Uh, colloquially known as the Live Local Act. This was a huge priority for uh, Senate President uh, Pasadomo. And so we will be keeping a close eye on that one. Uh, Most notably, the bill provides $252 million dollars in non-recurring funds toward the SHIP program and 259 million in total that's recurring and non-recurring towards the sale program. Both these programs are uh, huge county priorities. We have been fighting this fight for decades and so it's, it's nice to see the funding levels um, catching up with the need for affordable housing. Uh, because of this, FAC has been Uh, supporting this bill. Um, FAC staff, as well as a handful of our commissioners, including uh, Commissioner Michelle Lincoln uh, from Monroe County, have actually gotten up and testified on behalf of the bill um, showing our support. Uh, Additional provisions include um, there is a preemption on rent control uh, within the bill. Um, This was something of a trade-off in exchange for all that uh, additional funding. Um, and only seems to impact Orange County in its current form. Uh, it also authorizes county to approve mixed-use residential development uh, that includes affordable housing uh, in greater than 10% of the units um, within commercial or industrial zones, where they wouldn't necessarily be authorized to do so, typically. There's an additional requirement uh, that counties authorize multifamily and mixed-use residential as allowable uses within mixed use and commercial zones, conditional on the fact that 40% or more of the residential rental units meet the criteria of affordable housing for 30 uh, years. Alongside this, there are a handful of height and density incentives uh, for developers to come in and um, hit the ground running on on building this kind of development. As far as height, uh, it prohibits counties from restricting the density of an eligible um development under this you know new statute below the highest allowed density on any unincorporated land within the county and it also prohibits counties from restricting the height of an eligible proposed affordable development below the highest currently allowed within the jurisdiction within one mile or three stories uh, whichever is higher Uh, and so the idea behind this is just kind of giving the developers an extra incentive to come in and build this affordable housing um where it's you know become such a crucial issue for many of our local communities. Uh, Beyond this, uh, there's also an ad valorem tax exemption uh, for land that is leased for 99 plus years for the purpose of affordable housing. Uh, There's also a local option ad valorem tax exemption for property owners who dedicate units to extremely low or very low income residents. Now, as the bill moved its way through the Appropriations Committee, they added an amendment that would authorize counties to deny or revoke this local option exemption based on repeated building code violations. The idea here is counties didn't want to necessarily be permissive of um, unscrupulous, you know, landlords uh, taking advantage and you know not providing quality housing for their residents. Um, so that's kind of the thought process there. Uh, lastly, the Bill codifies the Hometown Heroes program. Um, This was placed into statute last session, uh, and this just takes it one step further as far as providing the framework um, for this down payment assistance program for those eligible frontline workers. Moving on, uh, we have got a familiar face coming back around this session. It is uh, local ordinances. Sarah, would you like to talk about that, Bill, a little bit?
1: Of course, Jared. I would say we have a lot of familiar faces coming back this session. But yes, he would be correct. We have SB 170 local ordinances by Senator Trumbull. It has passed both of its Senate committees. It no longer has any more committees to go through. But let's note there is not a House bill that is currently out there. So what SB 170 does is expands current law, allows civil action challenges to local ordinances on grounds that they are either preempted by state law or they conflict with the state constitution. What SB 170 does, it expands the statute to include grounds that an ordinance is arbitrary or unreasonable, and it allows the courts to award attorney fees and costs to the prevailing complaintant. An award of attorney fees or cost and damages cannot exceed $50,000 and cost to the prevailing party. The bill also requires a board of county commissioners to prepare a business impact statement before the adoption of certain ordinances. It also requires the preparation of these impact statements to be published on a county's website at the same time, As a notice of the proposed ordinance is published, and this business impact statement must include a multitude of things, which include a summary of the ordinance, including a statement of the purpose of the proposed ordinance, such as public health, safety, morals, welfare of the county, and estimated economic effect of the ordinance on private For-profit businesses in the county, an estimate of direct compliance costs businesses may reasonably incur if the ordinance is adopted, identification of any new charge or fee on businesses subject to the proposed ordinances, or which business might be financially responsible for, if any, an estimate of the county's regulatory cost, if any, including an estimate of revenues from many new changes or fees that might be imposed on a business to cover such costs, and additionally, a good-faith estimate of the number of businesses likely to be affected by said ordinances and any other information that the board determines is necessary. Now, it is important to note that there are exclusions in these local ordinances, which can include any ordinance required to comply with federal state law or regulation, any ordinance related to issuance or refinancing of debt, any ordinance related to the adoption of budgets or amendments, emergency ordinances, and a couple others.
0: Thank you, Sarah. Let's get you some oxygen after that. That was uh, quite a mouthful.
1: <laughs> it's, a, it's a big one. It's a big bill, but it definitely is important, and we will be following that this session. It
0: sure is. It has come a long ways uh, from the state that it was in as of last session. Uh, we have, you know, come to the table and uh, worked with a handful of the legislators on this bill, uh, both last session and currently, and have uh, definitely moved it in a direction that's uh, more favorable for counties.
1: It's important to note that it is not the same bill as SB 620.
0: That's very correct, Sarah. We have seen a handful of uh, people testifying publicly on the bill, uh, getting a little confused and confusing it for 620 from
1: last session. Which was vetoed by the governor. So it's most similar to SB 280, like I mentioned before, from last session.
0: Now, moving forward yet again, uh, we have seen a handful of ad valorem bills already moving their way through committees. The biggest one uh, would be a revision to the Save Our Homes limitation. Um, This would put a measure on the ballot for voters uh, to decide on that would change the Save Our Homes limit from the lesser of 3% or CPI to 2% or CPI. So under the current Save Our Homes program, uh, a property that's eligible for a homestead exemption is assessed for its, its market value in the initial exemption year. And then beyond that first year, the assessed value on the property tax bill is then capped, so to speak, uh, by the lesser of three percent or the CPI growth. Uh, and so the idea is just that you know if you're in a, a booming area uh, where the the real estate market is really hot, uh, you're not going to be getting you know buried by your tax bill year over year. It kind of caps it uh, to a reasonable extent. Um, this does also limit local revenue uh, obtained by this same property tax levy. Uh, And so revising that and taking it down to 2% or CPI uh, would again impact the amount of local revenue coming from property taxes. And that is um, a county's, you know, primary source of revenue. Um, So FAC is following this one pretty closely. Uh, Now the Revenue Estimating Conference actually took a look at this bill and they determined it to be negative indeterminate just because it's hard to tell uh, which years that cap is going to set in. For example, in years that CPI growth is relatively low, the cap wouldn't set in if it's below that two or three percent. Um, it's going to be in years that you know growth is significant uh, beyond that two or three percent that you're actually seeing a difference between these two limits. Now that bill passed its first committee that was community affairs, uh, six to three. A couple of weeks ago, uh, and it now moves on to its second committee of reference, that is finance and tax. Uh, Again, one thing to note is that even if this bill were to pass, it would go to the voters and would have to be approved by 60% of the electorate in order to end up in the constitution. We have also seen a handful of uh, smaller ad valorem exemptions moving their way through the legislature. Uh, One would expand the uh, homestead exemption for certain low income seniors over 65. Um, Another one would expand the definition of first responders um, to include federal law enforcement for an ad valorem tax exemption given to the surviving spouse of a first responder who dies in the line of duty. Uh, So in other words, under this current bill, um, a surviving spouse of a federal law enforcement officer uh, who happened to pass in the line of duty would receive a full homestead exemption to the point that she stays in that home and does not remarry. Uh, That's important to note. Um, The REC took a look at this bill as well. They determined it to have an insignificant impact on local revenues. Just noting the rarity of such an event, we don't have too many federal agents uh, passing on the line of duty. The average is apparently under one per year. And so as far as the impact on local revenues goes, uh, this would be relatively insignificant, Um, but no doubt a well-intentioned bill nonetheless. Now, Sarah, here is a big one that we have been working on. Uh, This is another familiar face. It is sovereign immunity. Uh, Why don't you catch us up on what has been going on with that bill?
1: Of course, Jared. Sure. Thank you so much. I almost thought you were Bob over there with all the expertise in finance and tax. Great work. Doing
0: my best impression.
1: <laughs> yeah, birds, so birds, birds. you're good. You're good. So yes, let's talk sovereign immunity. And first, I want to talk about the history of sovereign immunity, because this is an issue area that we have seen over the past few years, but it's really never made it anywhere. So let's talk about where it stopped last year. It went pretty far. In the House, it cleared all of its committees, but was never heard on the House floor. And in the Senate, it passed three of... Four of its committees, but stalled at the very end of session. So where they left off last year, it was HB 985. So last year in its last committee, House Judiciary adopted a PCS that would increase the caps from 200 to 400 thousand per person, and 300 thousand current days to 600 thousand per incident. In the Senate, they did something a little bit different where they created a tier system. So based on your county and city population, as well as if it was a state agency, they adjusted the caps for those populations. So it either kept the caps the same at 200 to 300,000, it increased them to 300 to 400,000, or it increased them to 400 to 600 thousand, depending on the size of your county, city, or whether it was a state agency. Where we're at this year, the original bill that was filed, HB 401, removed sovereign immunity caps for damages against state and local government entities entirely, meaning there were no caps. A delete everything amendment was filed to HB 401 that pushed it back a little bit and increased the per person limit from 200,000 to 2.5 million and increased the current per incident limit from 300,000 to 5 million. On the Senate side, a bill was filed. It has not been heard yet. It is SB 604 by Senator Gruders. Currently how that bill stands Is it increases the per person limit from 200 to 400,000 and increases the per incident limit from 300 to 600,000? And it also authorizes the Department of Financial Services to annually adjust these caps to be getting in 2024 to reflect the changes in the CPI. So that's where we're at. We haven't heard a Senate bill yet, we have heard a House bill amended. But we will see where the bill goes. We are closely monitoring that and working on that this session, and I'm sure we will see it go pretty far. Time will tell.
0: Thank you, Sarah. Seems like there's going to be a lot of work to do uh, as the two sides kind of meet in the middle to some extent. Obviously, counties want uh, reasonable caps in place, uh, but it's important to note that caps that are too high uh, might burden uh, some of our more fiscally constrained counties.
1: Yes, that is very true, Jared. Lots of compromising to do, but time will tell.
0: Now, Sarah, I'm going to keep you on the spot here uh, as you are our preemption expert, and we have seen a handful of preemptions already popping up, uh, you know, rearing their ugly head. Uh, So why don't we talk recall?
1: Yes, something we love to talk about here at FAC is preemptions. So one of the preemptions that we heard during committee weeks was something that we saw last session as well, and that was recall of county commissioners. So that is HJR 131 and HB 209 by Representative Rudman. They both passed the first committee stop and HJR is the joint resolution that proposes an amendment to the state constitution to authorize the legislature to provide to general law the recall of county officers and commissioners. And of course, HB 209 is the implementing bill to the joint resolution that provides that any member of a non-charter county may be removed from office by the electors of the non-charter county. So, so far, there is only one Senate companion filed for the Recall of County Commissioners bill, and that is the joint resolution. So SJR 1066 was filed by senator collins and that has not been heard we currently do not have a senate companion for the implementing bill
0: now unfortunately sarah this is likely not the last preemption we will see this session in fact we actually have some more to talk about a little later on
1: no it is not we have quite a bit of preemption and mandate bills filed this session and one plug that i wanted to mention is our bill tracker and our preemption and mandate tracker should be up on our website starting next week as session begins so look out for that that is where we will be posting all of our bill tracking analysis all of our legislation as it's coming out amendments will be added there last updates as well so keep track of that this session you will be able to see all those preemption bills that are coming out and stay caught up with us
0: yep sarah will up. He's sleeping or eating while she's fighting for home rules so. that is
1: very true anything for the counties <laughs>
0: anything for our county <laughs> well we will get back to that in a little bit but looking ahead uh, we have a handful of bills that we have seen filed that have not yet made it through a committee of reference um, but that we expect to see making some noise later on this session uh, first and foremost we have uh, one dealing with impact fees That is gonna be House Bill 235 by Representative Robinson, uh, the title of which is Alternative Mobility Systems. Now, most notably, this bill affects the way that counties or special districts may increase their impact fees year over year. Uh, Under current statute, there is a schedule by which counties can kind of incrementally increase their impact fees um, by certain amounts. One tool in the county tool belt in this area is that they've always been able to show a demonstrated need study for extraordinary circumstances. So if there's significant population growth in an area, they've been able to show that and exceed the statutory caps for their impact fees to account for that additional growth and provide, you know, the the appropriate infrastructure to match the growth. Now, this bill would actually eliminate the Extraordinary Circumstances Clause of this statute. This would potentially leave counties with no recourse uh, for providing that appropriate infrastructure in the event of significant growth. We have already had a handful of conversations with Representative Robinson about our concerns here, uh, and so we're hopeful that he can accommodate some of these changes we'd like to see made within this bill.
1: Thank you, Jared. And one bill that I wanted to touch on that will be very important this session for us, and that was heard in committee weeks, is HB 383 public construction by Representative Griffiths and Senate Bill 346 public construction by Senator DeSigley. So a little background and history on this bill. In 2021, HB 53 was signed into law that amended the definition of public works projects as an activity that exceeds $1 million in value and that is paid for with any state-appropriated funds. This law preempted existing local ordinances related to and the procurement process for public works projects when any state funds are used. Additionally, the law removed the 50% threshold and applied the prohibition on local preference to all solicitations that will be paid for with funding that is state-appropriated. So this compromise with public works projects between local government contractors and the state was touched on two years ago. Here we are today with HB 383 that goes back and revises the definition of public works projects for which certain government actions are prohibited by removing that $1 million in threshold and value requirement and prohibiting the application of local preferences to smaller public work projects that may receive state funding and projects that are entirely funded by local government without use of state funds. So the bill would effectively preempt all local preferences in competitively procured public Construction projects. The bill also amends construction service contract requirements and agreements between local governments and contractors for public construction projects dealing with dollar valuation for punch lists, deadlines as well as removing the authority of local government to withhold any money for payment to these contractors. So you can look at all of those things that the bill does in our legislative bulletin or in the coming weeks or on our website. But our very own Jeff Scala and Eddie Labrador are on this issue this session. Jeff actually testified in opposition to the bill this very last committee week, and he outlined the impact on locally owned and operated businesses to participate in these contract and competitive of bidding. This is a bill that we will be actively engaged on this session and closely monitoring the effects.
0: Well said, Sarah. Sounds like we are moving in the right direction on that one. Uh, Now, let's talk trash. Senator Angolia's Senate Bill 798 deals with solid waste management. Now, currently, a handful of our counties are providing uh, commercial solid waste collection through exclusive franchises with a private vendor. Now, Senate Bill 798 uh, would impact this in a couple ways. First and foremost, it stipulates that a county may not prohibit or unreasonably restrain a private entity from providing this solid waste collection uh, to commercial properties. Uh, Now, this includes industrial or even multifamily residential properties over four units. What a county may do is require private entities to obtain a permit, a license, or a non-exclusive franchise equivalent. Uh, That last part is key, uh, the non-exclusive portion, uh, because at the end of all of our current franchise contracts for our counties, this bill would sunset the contracts and prohibit exclusive renewal. So what this would do is essentially do away with exclusive franchise contracts and move toward more of a free market vendor system for commercial solid waste collection. This represents a pretty significant uh, preemption of a county's authority to regulate their waste services. Sarah, I understand you have one last bill for us. Yes. You bring us home?
1: Thank you, Jared. And speaking of preemptions, we had a pretty big preemption filed this week. That's right. HB 1197 and SB 1240, Land and Water Management. This bill would prohibit counties and municipalities from adopting any law, regulation, rule, or policies related to water quality, water quantity, pollution control, pollutant discharge prevention or removal, and wetlands.
0: Now, it's important to note that counties would retain their authority over wastewater and stormwater systems, uh, obviously very pertinent to all of our counties that run their own.
1: Yes, there are a few exceptions. Thank you, Jared. But... This bill has the potential to take away a lot of control from county. So, fact staff is all over this issue, and we will provide updates as they come, along with all of our other preemption bills this session.
0: Thank you, Sarah. Yeah, I wish we had uh, more good news to share with you guys right now <laughs> uh, in the preemption world. Uh, but you know we are going to stay on top of that um, and... And keep you guys on the loop in everything that is going on up here in Tallahassee.
1: I think that's a wrap on the bills that we were going to discuss today. There's a lot more of that to come. Stay tuned. Every week during session, Jared and I will be coming out, giving you a recap of what went down every single Week. So we're excited to talk about it. We're excited to fight up here in Tallahassee for you all. And one thing I do want to say and mention is a reminder for you all our legislative day is on March 15th. This is in leon county in Tallahassee. you are all invited to come up and assist in our lobbying efforts to protect fun Roll and help us fight against some of these preemptions the day will begin with a legislative briefing and the afternoon will be spent lobbying with your local delegations and we will be having a reception at the governor's club a couple speaker spotlights to announce. We have Speaker Pro Temp Representative Chuck Clemens in attendance, Florida Department of Agriculture and Consumer Services Commissioner Wilton Simpson, Florida Department of Transportation Secretary Jared Purdue, Department of Health Office of Medical Marijuana Use Director Christopher Kimball, Florida Department of Environmental Protection Secretary Sean Hamilton all in attendance. So you won't want to miss this. This will be a great year. and We look forward to seeing you all very soon.
0: Good catch, Sarah. Yeah, you guys are not going to want to miss this one. Uh, come hang with us up in Tallahassee. And in the meantime, be on the lookout for Ledge Bowl. Uh, and if you have any questions, feel free to consult our bill or preemption tracker or just reach out to fact staff. Well, that is all the time we have for you, ladies and gentlemen.
1: All right, and that wraps up this week's episode. In an ode to Davin and Fakish season one, we will be ending each week with a quote. It's not the critic who counts, not the person who points out how the strong person stumbles or where the doer of deeds could have done them better. The credit belongs to the person who is actually in the arena. And that is all of you, all of us, Jared, you've never heard that before, Uh, but... I
0: never have, but hey, words of wisdom.
1: That uh, is the fact quote.
0: Something to live by, Sarah.
1: (laughs) (laughs) All right, we will see you all next week.
0: That is all from Jared and Sarah. Rest up. We have got a storm coming our way, uh, but we will brave it together.